This is CliffCentral.com. Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome to Drive Time. It's Consciousness Cafe back again after about uh, just over a year, I think, or less than that. Um, but anyway, um, it's Keke Muzeke speaking, and I'm here with Claire Bell. I'm one of the co-founders of Consciousness Cafe. Unfortunately, Anisha is not with us today, um, but we are going to be doing something really, really interesting and different, even for us. So it's going to be an experience for the ladies of Consciousness Cafe as well. Um, so welcome. Um, so we are actually collaborating with UNESCO today because it's a World Radio Day and we're actually going to be having a dialogue on air today, which is going to be very interesting, I think, for both Claire and I as well as our dialogue participants. Um, so um, I think Claire's going to speak a little bit about what Consciousness Cafe is and what it does for some people that might not know. Hi, everybody. It's great to be with you here on Cliff Central. And thanks so much, Cliff Central, for having us and for engaging on this amazing experiment with us, having a first live on-air dialogue for Consciousness Cafe. Um, as many of you know who have been following us, we've been going for about two years now, and we hold dialogues about twice a month in spaces around the country, universities, um, sculpture gardens, galleries, community centers, you name it, we've been there. We get invited, we come. Um, and, you know, we've noticed that some people are still quite hesitant to come along. Uh, people, they're a bit nervous, they're a bit unsure. What is this thing? What is this consciousness cafe? So today we thought, let's give the, the, everyone a taster of like, what would it be like? So we've invited some of our loyal and regular participants to come along, 10 of them, to actually have a live dialogue on air. And uh, I think, you know, something that we should say about consciousness cafe, people that are hesitant to come, they think, oh, you know, Am I going to have the knowledge to come? Am I going to be wise enough, clever enough to come? What will people, people be asking me what I think? But really, we want to know what you feel. That's what we're about. It's how do you feel? Creating a space, um, not just for talking, but also for listening. Not for problem solving necessarily, but for just being heard. Um, we found, you know, in this country, there's often not a lot of space for our feelings. Apartheid wasn't very compassionate, and often it feels like our society right now isn't very compassionate. We can't hear each other because... We discount people's feelings who don't look like us or people's feelings who have different problems to us. And it's really hard. You know, it's hard to let in things that make you uncomfortable, that make you angry. It's hard to hear someone who doesn't seem to be like you. So really, Consciousness Cafe is that platform. It's creating a platform where you can actually become conscious of yourself more and conscious of others. Yeah, um, thank you, Claire. Um, yeah, and somebody would probably want to ask why. Why do you want to do something like that? Um, well, for me, I think, um, as a, as a black woman with, with raising children in this country and really having a love for this country, I think I see all the time, you know, the things that happen because we don't necessarily know each other well enough or we don't know enough about each other. Um, and I really want us to get to, you know, I want to be part of getting South Africa to the place where it can get to and doing this work is really really difficult and you know we might look like the poster children for um Reconciliation, you know, Claire being white, myself being black and Anisha being Indian. And, you know, some people might think, you know, we're trying to push for multiculturalism or, you know, some of the criticisms that we get, you know, you know, how can we just all hold hands and sing Kumbaya when we still have, you know, so much of the structural differences and all the things that are there, which are actually fueling our differences, you know, every other day. Um, but it, I mean, I, that said, you know, those things still being there, it doesn't change that 
we are citizens of South Africa and we are in the here and the now. And yes, you know, the past is there and is haunting us. Um, but we do need to, to, to live in the present and the realities that some of us have are we raising children and we don't want, I don't want my children to raise, to, to grow up, you know, in the same oppressed state or, you know, to have some of the challenges that I've had. And I think, you know, the way to, to get at that really and truly is to get at someone else's heart and kind of try and get them to understand the, the impact that it can have on, on, on other people, you know, the othering and treating people Less than or more than, and you know the the, the ongoing um, impact that that has on us. And I think you know the thing that we we asked ourselves just the other day, you know, over a glass of wine, we said, why do we do this? You know, why do we do this? Because we do. We get a lot of brick bats at times, um, and we aren't perfect. That's why we do it. We are not gurus. We're not experts. We're not the sort of facilitators who've got it all worked out. And um, we make mistakes. Um, but we we are really ordinary South Africans struggling with this legacy, like so many of you listening are. So yeah, people think, and it's interesting. You know, being white doing it's interesting mm-hmm. because people. Either think that I must get it, you know, perfect and completely right. So they put me on that sort of white pedestal, even though they don't really want me to be there, they could put me on it. Or they think I get it so wrong and that I deserve another brick bat for that. So it's, you know, being white and doing this, you know, you, you can never be mediocre and in the middle and just the girl trying her best. You're always, uh, you know, one or the other hated for either extreme. And, you know, it's very hard for that. Um, you get upset and people will mock you and say, ah, there she is with her white tears, you know, so you can't cry either. So, um, you know, and I think it's important. It's, you know, is it illegal for us to have emotions? Um, clearly not. And we need to talk about that. We need to talk about the complexity of the emotions that we all have in this country because they're all, we're all struggling and they're all valid. Um, and so just, just to interject now, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you today. So WhatsApp us and the WhatsApp number is 079 748 2090. Or you can also um, tag us at Cliff Central through Twitter and send us a tweet, tweet at um, hashtag conscious radio. And, or you can send us a message to Cliff Central's official account on WeChat. So we'd love to hear from you. So, um, yeah, but we need to tell them what we're actually doing, KK. <laughs> yeah, um, so today we're going to be having a dialogue. Um, we've tried to keep the dialogue um, as original as we usually have it, um, but keeping in mind that our dialogues are usually four hours long, and we have three hours on radio today with you. So we we have already been talking to the topic that we have on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter. So what we're talking about, um, the topic is essentially, um, why is it so difficult for us to talk about our the anger and fear and fear from our past that still divides us. So that that's the the topic that is going to be dialogued about today. So usually we'd have a demographic uh, demo choice of the dialogue topic but um, because of time and you know being a different scenario like I spoke to earlier we are um, already starting with the topic and actually our participants have already kind of started um, with the dreaming which is usually the next step after we've chosen the topic where they dream of an ideal state where that wasn't an issue for example um, you know what would it look like if it wasn't so difficult and if we could speak about the pain and, and hurt and fear of our past um, and also just to you know uh, when Cleo was saying earlier, you know, what it feels like as a white person doing this, um, we also just have to, um, I just have to speak to, to why Anisha isn't here, for example, today. And, and, and she's doing her own personal work because it is real um, being standing in the fire and actually being really earnest and, and talking to people about issues that are still in their lives and which are still in our lives and are affecting us as a collective, you know, in our different racial tech categories as well as 
um, trying to maintain a friendship and a real and honest one. And she's um, doing her own work on that as well because, um, you know, facilitating that people should speak truth and be real. You know, it comes back to you as well. And, and, you know, she's doing her own work with that. So she, she won't be facilitating with us for, for a little bit, but, um, she will be back. Yeah. I think it's, this is what happens with this dialogue is that people think that we're trying to come up with this, an end solution or a problem solve or actually be the ones that have the answers. But really what happens when you stand in this fire is that you end up seeing yourself. Yeah. yeah. You see yourself yeah. in the mirror and you, sometimes you don't like what you see. And so really, this is a space where people come to look at themselves in a group setting. And, you know, often you'll hear people in this country say, oh, they did that. They haven't. They, you know, this invisible they. And what we do at Consciousness Cafe is we really stop people using that word they and start talking about I. How do I feel? You know, what's happening within my life? So we're looking at ourselves, our personal stories. And also what's so amazing about being here with you on radio you know, you'll all know in your Facebook feed, you're surrounded by people who think like you, often who look like you. You know, you might not know any Trump supporters. You know, you might not know any DA, DA voters. Um, so you end up in a filter bubble, as they call it. Radio doesn't allow that. Radio brings us all together without those filters and actually helps us to hear diverse voices, which is why it's the most amazing medium, I think. So um, we should also talk a little bit about the, the dialogue process we use. Mm-hmm. So this is an amazing process invented by a South African NGO called the No Name Initiative. And it's really developed for us, for us as a nation by South African women to help us really, really, really look into ourselves and look into our own hearts. So, um, yeah, so the, the first phase is um, we choose a topic, which is today the topic is why is it so difficult to talk to each other about the fear and anger that still divides us? The next phase is the dreaming, and that's what the participants are doing right now. So they're asking themselves, what would it be like if they could talk to each other about the fear and anger that divides them? And then they're going to join us in the studio in just a few minutes, and they're going to start sharing those dreams with you. The dreaming phase will then lead us into the dialogue phase where we find out, well, what's stopping that from happening? What's actually blocking us? And we'll go on with the dialogue until five o'clock. And then we'll take a little break. And then they're going to come back. And the last stage of the dialogue, which is the amazing part, is, you know, often people say, oh, what's the point of just talking? Talking, talking, talking. What, what's that going to do? But really, we want you to go away with an action today. So all the people in this room today will take away an action, something that they will do differently after having this, this discussion. And I mean, it's just basic science. If everybody did something a little bit differently, the whole world would change. And it's really about that, about deep democracy, about actions, that we are the citizens. This is our country. We the people. And if we all own this country, it will change. You know, we don't have to wait for a government that doesn't deliver. We we can do it on our own shoulders. So I think it's time to bring our guests um, yeah, into the studio. Um, um, shall we give them a big wave and, and lure them to come in? Yeah. Okay, great. And then while we're still getting them inside, I'm just going to go into um, the agreements that we usually use for, for the dialogue process just to make sure that um, everything is going, is contained um, in some way. Um, so... So we use the tenets of the No Name Initiative, which um, Claire spoke to earlier. So basically, um, using deep democracy, meaning that, you know, in, in our society, we obviously have a lot of marginalized voices. And in the space where Consciousness Cafe is having these dialogues, we try and bring out those marginalized voices to be heard. So we want a space where everybody is, is more equal, is, is equal. And then we also, um, 
we promote um, being very, very transparent and being very honest um, because it's a, it's usually more confidential than radio. <laughs> so, but it is a, a space where, you know, you're, you're obviously encouraged to be honest and, and really transparent about your feelings. And because that's what we're here for, we're here to engage about how we really feel about things and not to judge each other and actually to have that compassion to, to each other, to hear what the other person really needs to say, because whether it's something that you can stomach hearing or not, it's the thing that needs to come out to bring us closer as a, as a society. I mean, also um, we, the personal versus the global, um, just meaning that, you know, there's, there's usually one person in the room that, or sometimes there's one one person in the room who can have a view that's very different from everybody else in the room. And that doesn't mean that that um, view is null and void. It actually just means that that one person could be representing a whole lot of other people who are not in that room that day. So, and that's the reason also to, to just, you know, be, be open with what you feel and be honest with what you feel, even if it's different from everyone else, because the personal does in some way um, represent the global that is outside of here. And then also to, to take care of yourself, which is going to be a little, more difficult than usual to today because we are not moving around as much since we are in the studio and there's quite a lot of us. I think we have 11, including us too. Um, so movement is not going to be as easy, but, um, it's, it's just taking care of yourself and, and just being aware of, of how you're feeling at every, um, part of the, you know, how you're reacting to things that certain people are saying and just doing what you need to do, whether you need to have a drink of water or to stretch your legs or whatever the case may be. Um, and then, we also um, ask for permission from our participants that we can facilitate the process. Um, we usually um, record the 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 the, um, the, conv- the dialogue, um, and today it obviously will be recorded. But we have received permission from all of our brave participants today. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, um, so we just and just to tell them, so they've all come into the room now. They're all looking at us rather apprehensively. <laughs> um, just to tell you guys that you need to speak straight into the microphone. So when you want to speak, you're actually going to have to walk up and talk into those microphones and then sit back down to where you are. Is that all right? Okay, so welcome back, everyone. So we'll start with the dreaming, and we'd like to hear from you. Um, the topic, why is it so difficult to talk to each other about the fear and anger that divides us? And we've asked you to dream of an ideal society, of, of what it would be like if we could talk to each other about that fear and anger. So who'd like to tell us, you know, start to, to tell us those dreams of what it would be like? Cam? <laughs> um, we discussed a few points of what this world would look like, and we started with powerful. Oh, you can't hear her? Oh, well, is that because her her microphone is not on? Um, she, she needs to go closer yeah. to the microphone. Is that better? Please bear with us, listeners. This is a new thing for all of us. <laughs> she said powerful. Can we hear me now? Okay, we're good to go. So we said powerful because that means to us we would have a voice, whereas if you're angry, you know, if you're angry that will, it might not be the case. We said um, a sense of security. We would feel very secure talking about the very difficult things that we sometimes are forced to avoid in our in our everyday lives. Um, understanding and empathy. And freedom 
responsibility and duty. These are just concepts that we were playing with. I mean, we do have explanations for all of them. And um, we said growth, peace and acceptance. We, we came up with this concept called positive appropriation. By that we meant we don't want to steal other people's culture, but we want to be a part of it because then that bridges the gap. We don't want to just do it to be cool and get, you know. Um, and we said wealth. And Tabo explained that very beautifully when he, when he said it's a collaboration. It's not necessarily material wealth, but it's wealth as in the example that he used, um, so effectively he said, if we have land redistribution, okay, and if we all are living in this ideal world, then we will be able to transfer skills and knowledge instead of just giving someone land and being like there, you know. Mm-hmm. So collaboration would, would be equivalent to wealth. Um, no awkwardness. Because then we would just be able to say very compassionately what we mean and we think and we feel. And the last one was uh, support. But we stressed access to support uh, to have these kind of conversations because a lot of the times we're not given tools as to how to mentally cope with the pain that comes out of these sessions, but with our pain from apartheid generally. Okay. Thank you, Cam. Thank you. From over the side of the room, would one of you like to tell us your dream? Michelle, Kat. <laughs> yeah. So for me, um, my dream, I mean, when it comes to this, I'm, I'm a 22-year-old. I'm very young. So um, when he speaks, I mean, we spoke about specifically um, our history, you know, as, as black people and our apartheid. So how, for me, like it's an aftermath. The aftermath is just like, after you know I'm, I'm only experiencing the sufferings after which is kind of like an indirect suffering so my ideal dream would be um i think one of the biggest points that she talked about was like collaboration and i always believe in that because hey i was you know grew up in a model c school so i understood how you know we broke the awkwardness and then we would we'd realize that you know we, we were all just humans or you know we're all able you know like on a on a very constant level we're all equal like able you know with capabilities the more or less the same capabilities so for a 22 year old it's collaboration i think it stands out like it really really i'm very happy with that it stands out so we can be able to exchange certain skills and be able to teach each other um a lot more you know and hey be able to even talk about such things this is collaboration. We're here in the studio and there's different races. When I see people here, it's different races. We're collaborating, you know, mm. and we, we, we're going forward with such things. So that's, that's, that's an ideal world for me. So I, I don't know, maybe not to be too cheap, but this is already a start of an ideal world for me. Us sitting here right now talking about real issues, real history and, you know, collaborating with, with, you know, how we can move forward from here. So yeah. Thanks, Gabrielo. Sabu, you look like you're going to lean forward. <laughs> no, you're going to lean backwards. Okay, I'll leave you there. Anyone else want to share their dream? Thanks, Lorraine. Thanks, Lorraine. Yeah, uh, Tatu and I had a, a chat, and if we're looking at the dream world, the ideal, um, then I think honest relationships would come out of having the ability to speak about our anger and our fear. Like in any relationship, if you end up having a conversation about what's underlying, you have more intimacy, you build intimacy. So I think we'd have uh, honest relationship as opposed to superficial relationships. And um, 
I think that ideally the anger should eventually subside because, uh, you know, we were talking about the EFF and all the anger that's being verbalized and how it actually rises to more anger. You know, it gives rise to more anger. So the ideal world for me is that if you are having a conversation and you are really um, free to speak about your fear and anger in a safe environment where there's somebody on the other side, where it's not just you on a podium, um, hopefully that anger will be addressed, the issues will be addressed, and eventually the anger will become less. Uh, and the last thing is just that there would be a, an empathy. So by speaking about the things, you would gain empathy for one another, and so you would have more of a connectedness in the country. Yeah. Mm. Great. Thanks, Lorraine. Mm. Thank you. Sure. Hey, Sandile, come to the mic. Hey, hey. Um, yeah, we, we spoke about the ideal world, and um, what stood out for us is that um, in an ideal world, people will be able to live harmoniously with each other. And um, how we came to that conclusion, uh, we spoke of um, the Protestants and the Catholics um, and how they don't get along. Um, and this funny thing is like, say, those people move to South Africa, all of a sudden they get along. <laughs> so, um, so what, what is required for that to happen is, 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 um, people need to accommodate each other. Uh, say somebody has special dietary needs on a Friday evening, you invite them to your house and you cater for their needs. So that will require you to surrender yourself for the greater good. That is, that, that's, that's what would make an ideal world for us. We spoke about other things as well, but I can go on for days. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sandili. Michelle? Helps to be short. <laughs> <laughs> so we were speaking about our ideal world, and for us, we felt that the ideal world, the ideal South Africa, where we can all speak freely, we would be a people that is educated, where... We have, in our education, we have understanding of who we all are. And it would be that unique country that all 11 cultures, official people of us, sit together on a table and we all really understand our history from all of us and how we're going to work together to a brighter South Africa. So it, in, my, in our ideal uh, world where South Africans can speak freely, it would be one where we all understand and we're all working together for that one goal because for that one goal we'll be patriotic South Africans because mm. we're not patriotic. We're not, we don't, and we can't be because what, what excites you doesn't excite me because we all, we very, our cultures haven't, haven't, we haven't learned about each other. It all goes back to our education. Our education is not teaching us. Mm. Our history is not being taught to us at all. So we don't know how to speak because we all, we, our history is our education is who we are. So in that, our, we come from the apartheid regime. We come from post-apartheid. We have pre-apartheid. The generation right now, we are so lost. Everybody's, we all not on one to a point that even, even though when you meet somebody and you, you can't just speak to the person and express your feelings because you have to get to an understanding if I can. Mm. 
can I speak to you? And if I do speak to you, and th- that comes more if it's a different race. We, we're friends on a drinking level, but immediately when we come to real things, you have to ask yourself the question, if I say this, will you understand me? Because we all come from different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult because whatever I'm going to say is going to ignite a different emotion in you that will blow it all out so much out of proportion with what's going on right now in our country. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Michelle. Um, and I think Michelle has you know, started to actually get into the dialogue because what we usually do at this part of the dialogue is you know, look at why the dream isn't happening. And, and, and she started speaking to some of the reasons and reasons behind why the dream or the ideal is not happening. Um, did anyone have some some feeling or some attachment or agreement or disagreement with what um, Michelle was saying? Hi, Alison. Thanks. Um, I would pick up on Michelle having said that she may feel or others may feel restrained from speaking because they wouldn't be understood and I think perhaps more along the lines of that one wouldn't be given the space to to explain um, because we won't necessarily always understand each other um, we had a dis- in our discussion earlier we spoke about if the other person's experience is so totally out of the realm of your own experience, whether direct or indirect, then you probably never can really understand. It'll be an artificial sense of understanding. But if you've given the person that space to best explain themselves and you have, you, you, you're inquiring, you're interested uh, to have a better understanding, even if it can never be a completely full understanding. So I think that takes time. And I think a lot of the time um, one may not begin the conversation because you just don't feel that that time's going to be made available to allow mm. that fuller expression. Yeah. Michelle, can you talk back, I mean, to that fear feeling or that, that feeling of, you know, when you think, can I say this? Yes. Can you tell us a bit more about what that is? Shall we put chairs by those microphones and when, then when you speak, then, yeah. Yeah. When I, when I say that, it, it goes back, it, it, it goes back to me suggesting education being the, the the medium that we use in this dream world to achieve what we want to have that oneness. So if we get educated, because and I say this because I'm experiencing both sides of the education system right now physically. And if in the education we are taught about our history because there is no time for us to do that. We can't physically go to everywhere in South Africa, remote places. It is through education. It's the only way we're going to get through it. In the education system, there's a curriculum that teaches us how to be confident, how to be like in, in your Model C schools, in your private schooling, kids are taught to express themselves. And if we go back to Malcolm Gladwell's book, um, you get taught in these different school, in these multiracial schools, the, your private schooling, as a young age, at a young age, 
that you it is all right to speak and express yourself. But that is not taught in the public schools, especially in our remote places, because even our teachers don't give us that environment to speak. So we not we don't have that. We can't have that openness to speak how we're feeling. So in that we can't speak how we're feeling, it grows because you must know the system had never changed. Some of us post-apartheid, some of us, most of us, most of the country at that age group in the 90s, and it was really experiencing it from our elders down in all of it, across everything, we haven't been taught from that that history as how it actually changed and how it's going to be affect us, mm. how it's going to work, mm. how this change is going to happen. It was told that it will be the truth and reconciliation. So we don't get to speak out. So and the, the system still continues. So we still have that apartheid system continuing in our school. So we still can't talk. So in my language... And in my expression, it would be a slang of, of Soweto, because I'm, I'm from that side. And in my, your language, who comes from Model C, it will be in different ways. So when I have to come, and now we're friends, we're meeting up at work, coming from different environments. We're good friends. But immediately when I have to say, Claire, you know what, brah, when I go home, you don't know, I run in the rain and the muddy potholes, they're so long. Then when, when I got home... I had to use the toilet outside in the rain. It's difficult for me to explain that to you because I immediately feel, oh, I'm with Claire at work and KK is from that Model C. So I try and step up and I'm not, you're not really knowing the genuine problems I have because mm. I can't say it to you. And then when you, when you try and say it, it makes you feel afraid. It makes you feel afraid. afraid. That's why I brought it back to saying from education and we teach our children at a young age because now it's in this dream world. We're normally looking at the past. It's there. Mm. It's not that I say it must be forgotten because I still want, I'd, in my dream world, we are still teaching our children our history as African people. Mm. And the reason why in our Model C schools the, that they are taught, kids are taught to express themselves and to feel confident is because they know who they are so that whatever you dream of becoming you know and you feel I can do it because whatever I say to people around me they encourage me and they because they understand they can see my vision mm. but in the, our education we're not teaching our young kids that because of our poverty is so bad mm. the societies our schools are so bad the teachers that's teaching us everything around us is not giving us that to say come my child mm. this is the world you can get help Thank you for that, Michelle. Um, I see um, Sbusa has been nodding vigorously as you've been speaking. Um, so I think he wants to say something. Yeah. I, I, in, in, in supporting uh, Michelle, I feel like we, one of the things that makes us not, 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 not to, to openly talk our feelings is we are more like told not to be ourselves mm. when you get to school you are taught not to be yourself mm. as as she was saying that in 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 the model schools you are taught to be yourself to express yourself you are home when you are home your parents are listening to you or you are talking to your children 
and those children they ask all the questions they want to ask because children are children they ask they speak their language they speak whatever they feel but when they get outside or when you you talk to them you like no no you can't say this and immediately when you say you can't say this then a child or or anyone else would listen what must i say mm-hmm. that is that is where we we tend not to be ourselves then it makes it very difficult for us to to to, to leave when you're going to work okay now i want to go and uh, i'm looking for a job now what do i say i can't say i can do the garden the garden work i can i can do the mechanic work because i must put it in a way that would fit in you and i don't know you mm-hmm. when 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 a father is a mechanic and teaches his or her children to be mechanics or has a shop and teaches them how to run a shop everybody is in the same level but now when this young one goes out and 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 and, and be a, a manager to run somebody else's business he can or she cannot fit in that business because he has to express it in a way that this person would understand but if you give that person an open an, an open land to operate they they do their work perfectly hence we've got managers that are running like like uh, corporate businesses because they are given a free will to run what they want to I mean to do what they want to do so they do it freely but it's difficult for us to link together because we are not we are not being ourselves thanks abisusu mm, i think there's a lot in there what you're saying about we are not being ourselves and i just i'd love you to elaborate a little bit um okay sanjili wants to add and then tabul i think that was the whole intention of apartheid to make you feel like that i, I know this from my schooling in primary school whenever i wanted to speak and say something you raise your hand the teacher points at you you stand up you speak then i changed school <laughs> and then like she was like no but ma'am i don't agree with that we're like what they so we couldn't conceive <laughs> of like being able to speak for yourself and and right now what's happening is like we all pretend like that didn't happen and let's just carry on everything is fine but it's not fine because we still have to speak english people can't speak english like you were saying you know you can do the job but you can't express it in english so you miss a lot of opportunities so it's a language problem and it's also an education problem because it was designed like that and the bigger problem is that we all pretending like The, that problem is not there like speak english or you get left behind and everyone is striving to like not everybody can speak english like how many people can speak more than three languages four languages not many so th- that's the problem i think it's it's a, it's a, it's a system that was put in place and then we're not trying to change it but yet we say we want to change the situation but how because there is that language issue A lot of people are competent they just can't speak the language. Thank you Sandile. Tabo you wanted to say something in Tato after. 
Yeah, so I think the first thing I wanted to do is just to reflect a little bit on the exercise that we just did um, about dreaming, right? Dreaming is about thinking of the ideal world, that utopia. So with all our list of ideals and things that we aspire for, we just did a similar exercise as the speech Nelson Mandela gave when he spoke about the Rainbow Nation. The speech that Martin Luther King spoke about when he said, you know, I have a dream one day that, you know, people will be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And looking at the world that I've lived in and the world that I've experienced and just thinking about the interactions I've had and what makes people behave in a certain way, I think that will remain as that a dream. I personally think that this utopia we just described is something that is attainable. And I think it's hard time that as a people, we accept that the idea of a rainbow nation is a myth. Mm. I think it's hard time we accept that those differences will be there and they'll never go away. For as long as I'm a black person, and you're a white person, there will always be people that see skin color and they will sometimes have perceptions of who you are, assumptions and things that they believe makes them better than you or vice versa. So I think the point that I would like to start at is acknowledging the differences exist, that this rainbow nation or this dream that Martin Luther King had about me being judged about the content of my character is not going to happen. You know, in corporate South Africa, we see it, you read about it in the news. I mean, you thought that the world is making progress with all that's happened and then boom, you have Trump as president. Mm. We've just taken 10, 20, 20 years back in terms of progress as a people. And in my lifetime, I don't see this happening. Maybe it may happen, maybe when I'm gone, but the whole idea of a rainbow nation, for me, it's, it's unattainable. So we just need to deal with the differences that we have and find a way to work together as a people towards things that we can probably collaborate on and what we agree on and can maybe sometimes compromise may be necessary, but there will always be that conflict as long as those differences exist. Tato, you want to speak to that? Um, when he when he's mentioning differences, he's mentioning differences in a negative negative connotation, basically, because I'm all for differences. I'm all for um, if I meet a Sutu girl and and then, excuse me, I speak broken Sutu, but I try because I like Sutu girls. Um, <laughs> if I meet a, a closer girl or if I meet an Africana girl, um, I like differences. Differences make it colorful. Make, well, well, it's what the Rainbow Nation is. It is about uh, differences. It's about uh, different colors, different personalities. And I like that. It makes life quite interesting. Um, what I do agree upon with him is that it, I don't think it would be attainable continuing the way we continue. Because when you're talking about, um, as I was speaking about earlier on, about the how Model C kids are taught to be confident. Model C kids aren't taught to be confident. confident. I don't think so. Because um, I went to a Model C school. And then I went, when one of my, 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 my white uh, classmates once told me that, but Sabat, you know, if Jan van Riebeck didn't learn on, on, on the South African shores, where would black people be right now? Mm. We'd still be in loincloths. And I didn't have anything to say to that because the, the education at the time, mm. the education that were teaching me at school at the time started from South Africa 
being Yafan Rubik landing here and continuing forth. We are not educated about all the great, um, all the great Kosa kings or Zulu kings and the development of how Africa has been over the years. We are not educated. I had to educate myself after leaving school about that. Even my parents didn't teach me that. So then when you, and even to this day, if we have to start, for me to acknowledge the differences and and love you. I love that 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 coloured Macy, that Zulu girl, or that Africana girl. I need to first love myself. I have a very big issue in today's into this day, and I love my my blacks. I love them, but I have this big issue about how the receding hairline. They have a very big problem with the receding hairline because of weaves, and I understand. A woman says it's a prerogative. She can do whatever she wants with it. That is great. But I'd like to once in a while show that you're proud of your actual hair. Once in a while, rock a duke to work. I mean, that was a big thing last in 26. I was very proud of that. And if you're going to tell me that people think apartheid was just a couple of decades of, of, of Kosa's living here, Zulu's living there, and we have less rights than, uh, than, uh, than, than white people. It was not that. It was a very systematic Degradation of a degradation of our of our humanity. We were we weren't just put in in the in the we weren't just put in the corners of, of of society and stuff like that. No, we were made to feel like even our own culture, our own history, our own skin color was a big problem. So then you get issues of people uh, of of black people uh, lightening their skin. You get people straightening their hair, straightening their daughters' hair. You get girls of six years old with straight hair, and then some of that hair is natural. I mean. I was so impressed last year with the issue that happened in the Pretoria uh, School for Girls, where the girl said, no, I'm not going to straighten hair just to fit in. So when you're telling me about Model C's kids are being taught to be confident, that's false confidence. So it's not confidence at all. Teach people how to love themselves. Teach people how to be content or, or love their own history or being true to who they are. And then once, once we accept us for ourselves, then we can start accepting other people for being themselves and stuff like that. So that's where, um, and for, uh, when I was talking with my, my partner earlier on, where she felt that she wasn't being heard because she's white, she wasn't being heard. And when she comes to these discussions, she feels like she's being attacked. And I can understand that because I attend one of these discussions and white people are attacked. <laughs> I mean, um, not directly, but the anger is voiced at them. The angry glares are, are, are shown at them. And, and I can understand that. And I felt that it came from a point of ignorance from black people and saying, because when she asked, what can white people do to make it better? They couldn't answer. They just wouldn't, they didn't even answer for that. So before you, we ask white people to fix the past. I mean, what do we want from ourselves going forward? Okay. There's a white person who wants to respond to you. <laughs> so I thought that was a good point to be picking up on because to me it speaks to courage. And earlier on, uh, you were saying about not being able to be of yourself. Um, again, it speaks to not having then the courage. And I was thinking that people are held back from speaking because of either what they perceive will be a response to them. So this example just now, if, if the white lady feels that she's going to get attacked if she speaks or attends something. But equally, if you feel that you're going to be looked down upon because you come from a poorer background or background of having less material things, 
um, I see it because I have quite a lot of these conversations and um, quite often if I start engaging in a conversation with somebody who in some ways different from me, other people who identify themselves as being like me will say, oh, no, 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 you, 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 you can't go there. You can't have that conversation. And I said, I'm going there. Why can I not go there? And they're saying it because they have a fear that it could be impolite. So it, it's not always what might happen to you. It's what you may be doing to the other person. For me, I think that there's ways of expressing yourself that can be honest and not be impolite. Um, they are touching on sensitive things, but you can say it having an empathy that this is getting into sensitive space. And with that awareness that you're going into sensitive space, I have not found anybody who has objected to having a conversation with me. What I can't be sure of is if they've always spoken up fully because you don't know what somebody hasn't said. Um, but they've at least engaged in the conversation. So I think there's a theme of courage or lack of courage running through. Mm. Michelle wants to talk to that. <laughs> I'd like to say, like, uh, to add on, uh, on a lighter note, like to bring a, a real example uh, to what um, Spusiso and Sandile had spoke about with us Within, within our differences is that it's not only our language that is different it's our expressions our body language our 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 way of our humor is all different and the way you express yourself at home at a black in a black home and now you come out into the whole of Af- south africa let's say we had an event i was at at Disney on Ice a few years ago. So that's an event that caters to everybody in South Africa. It's not biased. It's for all of us to come. Whoever can afford comes. So obviously, so a black couple, a black couple is there with, the, with their children. And the daughter is so excited. She's about three years old. She can't believe it's Mickey on front, in front, and she's screaming, Kimi, Kimama, Kimi, and the mom is like getting so embarrassed because everybody, the child is drawing attention to herself, and then she's like, hey, like keep quiet, and she's like, hey, mama, Kimi, and then she just goes, ah, like she's expressing herself, but the mom was stopping her, and the reason why the mom is stopping her is because the mom is. Is conscious now of where they are. Mm. We're not at home, my child. Mm. You can't express yourself like this mm. because of the mothers mm. from the mom's background. And this is, this is probably somebody in the middle age right now. She has comes from a apartheid background. She comes from that background that you cannot express yourself out in public like that. Mm. You don't know what can happen to you. So that fear hasn't stopped. That fear hasn't stopped and it hasn't, there hasn't been a conscious decision, a physical effort put into teaching us how to express ourselves. And that's why I bring it back to saying in out in my dream world, it would be in the education, in the education that's not only in schools 
that it doesn't only it should start at when we start school at primary and it should end at every educational institution from every age group so that it gets to reach out to the whole of South Africa because because as the one gentleman said he doesn't see that dream happening and i feel like if if it's educated in all our walks of life maybe it could touch most of us to a point where we get to understand our history because a lot of us don't know if we read into our black history we will find kings and queens and bishops glorious people because we do not know our history and when you know your history you you find courage in yourself you you believe in yourself you can do it you, Spusiso can express himself even though he knows, dude, okay, I come from this very bad apartheid background, post-apartheid. I went through all the odds and the things are still this way, but I know my history. Therefore, I can courageously speak to this really hard-stricken Afrikaner man from the free state or whatever who doesn't, who's still in that background because it's not only the black people who needs the education. The white people need the education too. The Afrikaners need the education too. And, and when I suggested education, it should be across. The, the Department of Education should say it is law that every educational institution is taught South African history so that we can become proud, patriotic South Africans and we can stand together. We can come to that point of saying, okay, you came you, the white people, you came to Africa. We understand where Africa was when you came. You don't know if it would have been better if Jan van Riebeck not come because Jan van Riebeck did not come and find it dead, dry, brown, burnt up grass. He didn't find it that way. He found it fertile. He found minerals. He found that our, our warriors were using spears. They just improved it. So it's not to say it was all dead and gone. I don't believe black people are that dumb in the way we were living. So when we know our history across our races, across our lives, we will be confident. To, we will have courage. It goes back to this video that's been circulating about the traffic cop. He is... He is the law at that time, but he's not, he doesn't, he's not even confident in the fact that he is the law, that he allowed himself to be humiliated like that. Because he's, he, he didn't even click in his mind, I am actually the law. I, he, he can't do that. He couldn't even stand firm and confidently remove that mic because he was not confident, doesn't know himself. Thank, Thank you. you, Michelle. There's been some movement in the room to what Michelle has been saying. Um, I'll start on the side with Zbusiso and then move on to Sandile and, and then Tabo. There's, there's two things that just came into my mind. With this education and being ourselves and economic... I wouldn't say economic transformation, but economic development. There's, there's a photo that I once posted some, some years ago. On, 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 on Facebook. These are the ladies from my village. They were in the Department of Education. I just want to describe it to you. It's just a picture of three women wearing closet dress. Yes. Yeah? yeah, thank you. You can try and tweet the picture as well. They were in the Department of Education. That was way back in the 60s or 70s. They were, they were teachers then. Wearing, that was not a cultural day. It was just... Their day to work. Mm. 
They were being themselves. Mm. You were, you, you look at our education now. You compare it to them. They were teaching in their language. They were teaching the best way they knew how. And those learners or students then, they were learning it in the way they were growing up from their homes, being themselves. Passing that, we come to the economy. In my own home, the, the, the coming to Joburg, to, to, the, to the Cape, or being employed, it started with my grandfather. My grandfather was born in 1914. So he started working at around 1950, or in the late 40s. Before him, there are ones that are elder than him. They never went to work. But they worked at their own homes. Mm-hmm. They did, there are dams that were shown that this was the dam which was built by your grandfather. That was to, 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 to irrigate the, 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 I mean, their, 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 their agriculture. They were doing their agriculture there. So economically, we were fit because we could do it ourselves. Whatever farming, I mean, the cattle, they were, they were, they were, they were hundred percent healthy. You come to, if today I'm sick, I can't be sick. I can't be sick when I'm, when I'm in, when I'm in, when I'm in bed. In my bed, I know that I'm sick. I've got a stomach ache or I've got whatever. But when I'm going to, 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 to hospital, I must find a way that I would express it, a way that the doctor would understand, a way that the nurse would understand. Otherwise, I've got this headache and I can express it. Because I have to express it in a way that would be understood. Where does that take me? Is that not killing me? Because I'm sick now and I can't express it in English, so I must die. Because it would mean I'm not sick. Because I can't put it in a way that would be understood by the world. So we need to, to be ourselves. By, so by being ourselves, we'll be able to, to express or to, 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 to be the best in the world. Thanks, Abusisu. Yeah, I just want to reflect back what we're hearing. I mean, it's such a, it's, it's like we've lost, we haven't taught to be, to be people. We haven't, we've lost being people. And, I, you know, just remind, I mean, as a white person who grew up during apartheid on the East Rand, you know, it's, it's really, and you know, I writes a lot about, about those times. You know, just think about how we weren't, even then, we weren't taught to be critical thinkers. There wasn't anything in that society which said, what do you think? I remember the first time my, my history teacher asked me what I thought. I will never forget it. It was in matric, and it was about apartheid. And he said, it, and read from the textbook, he said it was good for the country. Miss Smith, what do you think about that? And I remember thinking, think? Think? Nobody's ever asked me before what I think. Everyone's just told me what to learn, what to read, and answer the questions back exactly. So it's like we are a society that has, 
has lost and, and, and as a white person you've, you've, you've lost it in a different way and maybe it doesn't disadvantage you as much because the society is the one that was built by people who looked like you with codes that you know but it's not interrogated I don't, I just, there's such a lack of that anyway um, Keke do you want to say something what, what, are, you, what are you seeing going no, on here um, I, I, I'm hearing a lot of, um, of censorship like that there's been a lot of censorship of rationing what we can say rationing the kind of behavior that we can display out in public so censoring and kind of a, a controlling that, that, that that's, that's been happening and Stunting the confidence basically to be out in the world and to be maneuvering in this world that is not essentially your own world, mm-hmm. but being centered, I mean, censored in terms of how you can maneuver in the world. So I sense a lot of that from, from this, well, I'm seeing this side of the room, but nobody can really see. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, um, and Tabo also had some responses to the things that were being said here. Yeah, um, I just wanted to, well, you spoke about it. I also wanted to backtrack to you. the point about, like, the African man being able to understand what happened. Um, what I find in my experiences, because sometimes I interact with white people, is a lot of the times they lack the vocabulary, especially South African white people, they lack the vocabulary of seeing a black person as an equal. Uh, every single time they got to correct you, they argue with you. They know more about things that you just told them about like two days ago, you know. <laughs> and and that's how apartheid has affected uh, a white person's mind. It's it's so difficult for them to see you as an equal. Even if they, like it happened to me two days ago, a very kind person, like good-hearted person. And then she did it. And I was like, what? You just said that. <laughs> like, But you know, it. it she, she's got no malicious intent behind it but it's just the the psychology that she grew up in she just can't get herself out of it and whereas when i interact with european people it's like totally different they they got the capacity to see me as an equal they, they ask me for things so what do you think how does this work whereas when i'm with like my fellow south african white people they always believe subconsciously i think like that they know better like it, it makes it difficult. So a person like me, I have a lot to say, but then when I pick that up, then I realize like whatever I'm going to say is going to be futile because there's a mental block in this person's mind. So it creates this situation where you have like uh, conversations that are pretentious, like, hi, mm. hi, how's things? Mm. Like we're friends, but like not really friends. Mm. Like that's that affects white people. It also affects black people in terms of like how do like this world doesn't want to engage with us. So let's just block ourselves from it. We're getting a lot of agreement in the room from what um, Sandile has just said. And for anyone who wants to show their agreement on WhatsApp, um, the number is 079-748-2090. Tabo, you wanted to say something? So I just want to reflect on what Michelle spoke about earlier. I think I agree with a lot of the points that she's raised. And I just want to make a few additions to that We have a lot of education institutions in our country. We have the government, obviously, that has a mandate to put together policies and execute those policies, right? I think there's a lot of danger that comes with us trusting institutions to be the Mm. sole medium or source of education, right? 
Now, I'm a product of our education system. I went to a government school in primary school. I went to a Model C school in high school. I went to a government university, which was fantastic. And I work in a nice uh, organization as a, you know, young professional, young black professional. And having gone through the system and having gone through the education, I think I can have a critical assessment of how it's lacking in its approach. I don't know if a lot of, any of you followed last year's um, and the year before's fees must fall mm. protests. There was a lot of talk around decolonizing education. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? I think it could mean different things to different people, right? So what it means for me is education is beyond the classroom, is beyond the textbook, because what you see in the textbook or what you learn in the classroom, that is someone else's perspective. And who is that person? And does that person understand who I am as an African? Do they understand who I am as a black person? Right? Now, education, I said earlier, is beyond the classroom. And one of my fellow delegates here spoke earlier about how can white people play a role? I think there's simple things, right? Pronouncing my name correctly. Mm. Right? That's, that's the first thing. Speak my language in the same way I made an effort to speak your language. I think there are many white South Africans and probably other races as well that haven't really taken the time to appreciate the realities of South Africa. We live in a very bubbled, protected mm. world in Johannesburg that is a false sense of reality mm. of South Africa. I don't know how many people have actually gone out to the villages in the Free State in the Eastern Cape and KZN to actually see what reality is for people there. That in itself is an education that you won't find in textbooks, you won't find in classrooms. It's an education about humanity, about people, and I think there's a sense of appreciation that needs to happen about their reality. And if you think that reality for them is ideal for them, or if you would put yourself in that situation and live that life. So I think education is an important thing to think about broadly. Let's not just limit ourselves and how we educate ourselves about academics and ending up being a professional, a lawyer, chartered accountant, whatever. No, you may be the best chartered accountant in the country, but you may be totally myopic or very blind to the realities of humanity, you know. Mm. In this country So even with the whole economic debate That my colleague spoke about earlier I mean, I'm a relatively short guy um, <laughs> If you were to invite me to a basketball match If say, I don't know who's a popular basketball player um, LeBron LeBron James, right? If King James was to invite me to a basketball field To play basketball against me He'd knock me out a hundred nil that's what's happening in South Africa, particularly in the, let me just use what I'm familiar with in the corporate South Africa, right? You can see I'm suited here. I work in corporate South Africa. What happened is we work or we live in an economy that is very Western, that is very based, it's based, capitalism system is based on Western principles, beliefs, lifestyle, how wealth is created. As an African person whom you know, my culture is all about Ubuntu. It's all about embracing. It's all about togetherness. You expect me as an African to come into the corporate world and to behave and thrive and be successful on rules that I had to learn. You know, my starting point versus a white person, he started way ahead of me. So I have to play catch up before I even join the game. So in the context of South Africa and the Western cultures and ideals and lifestyles we've adapted, it's very difficult for many black South Africans and Africans in general to catch up and be successful in a way that success is defined in modern day. 
So maybe can, there's can, many other things. Can we? I mean, we, this is so fascinating, and I think at the moment we're also we're talking at a, quite a content level, and we always yeah. try and bring you down into your feelings at Consciousness Cafe. And tell me, how does it feel like when that happens? How does that catch up feel? So the topic of today is about obviously we have divisions. We spoke about fear. We spoke about anger. How does that make me feel as a young black South African having to, you know, play catch up pretty much with many of my peers and a lot of my black friends and colleagues relate to me when I speak about the struggles, especially of transformation. There is a sense of anger. Um, it's definitely there. I'm angry at the fact that maybe some senior executive in the organization I work in will tell me to forget about the past and look forward because now we need to build a country and progress as a unit and, you know, look for this rainbow nation that, that uh, the great Nelson Mandela sold us. I think that's very ignorant and disrespectful to me. It makes me angry because you don't appreciate where I'm starting from. You don't appreciate what my parents had to go through to take me to, to school. And you don't appreciate the fact that I'm not the only one. There's more than just the person you're talking to. I'm one of the few black people that went through school and I'm a small percentage in the greater context of the country. So I think that executive needs to also educate themselves and go to the villages and not be comfortable in the boardrooms or, you know, game ranges, wherever they go to have entertainment. I think it's important that we be frank and unapologetic as black people about how issues of race affect us in country in, in this country. So that anger definitely is there and is something that I'm vocal about. Friends, colleagues at work. And I think sometimes it may make my colleagues be afraid. So that sense of fear comes across that look at this angry black man who is saying all these things. But you don't have to be afraid. Understand me. The important thing is to understand is to say why are you feeling this way? And then I can engage you and educate you. So with that education, then you have a better understanding and you won't tell me to forget about the past. You'll understand and try to work towards building something that will make us all happy. So I think it's important for us to think more than just the classroom education and be broader in that and accept that you're not playing, you know, we're not starting on the same level or playing on the same, you know, by the same rules even in some cases. Because as a short guy versus LeBron, I mean, hey, <laughs> black guys in the corporate South Africa, I think we have a lot of struggles that we play catch up on. Mm. And that's your Model C blacks. You know, imagine a, a black person that comes from a Bantu education and in inverted commas who has a broken accent and the white people look at him funny and not even understand what he's saying or even believe his content, even if he's the smartest person academically. But by the fact that you speak a certain way is another barrier that affects you as a black person. So there's a lot of, it's a very dynamic, it's very complex. And that does make me angry in that it's unfair for that guy who's fantastic, who's awesome, but is not given a platform to shine. And can we have other people respond to their feelings around this? There's been a lot of time. Yeah, there's a lot of Okay, before I get into my feelings, which is a lot, um, the, on the point of textbooks, I asked to see my 13-year-old nephew's textbook, by the way, private school. It had the most sanitized version of Cecil John Rhodes. They made him like such an entrepreneur who came to South Africa and, you know, liberally found these spaces and then decided to build an empire. So our textbooks are very problematic. Private school or government, I don't think it makes a difference. How I feel. I'm an Indian woman. So I feel 
that we need to acknowledge apartheid happened. And I feel that's missing from, from our discourse generally. As long as we don't acknowledge the problem, Asking us to not play the race card, to forget apart that happened and to move on is the most problematic rhetoric that we have in South Africa. The second point of mentioning that I'm Indian is that I have to acknowledge my privilege. We had better facilities. We had more privileges than African people. So before, before we we move anywhere we need and when I say we I mean the rest of us need to really really acknowledge that um, you know our lives were a lot different yes it was difficult not taking anything away from what our parents had to go through and you know my grandparents land was also taken etc but the school that I went to I didn't have to walk that far um, I came from a home where both my parents were there. You know, there wasn't a migration, um, a work migration situation they had to deal with. I came from a school that, that had facilities. So I really need to acknowledge that. And instead of feeling attacked when people say things like go back to India, I need to understand where is that anger coming from? Because KZN, the relations in KZN between African people and Indian people is problematic on so many levels. None of us are acknowledging that. So I don't have a right to get upset or angry when somebody says go back to India. I really need to understand why is that person saying that? And what am I doing to contribute to this conversation? I feel alienated. I really do feel alienated. I can't have these conversations with my family or my friends, my Indian friends. Because I often get told, like, especially during roads must fall and fees must fall. You know, I posted a lot about it because I had really strong views about it, especially roads must fall. I studied at UCT and I worked at UCT. And, you know, the feedback that some of them gave on my statuses was horrible because, you know, they would say things like, oh, if we have to work, you know, why can't they do it too? And I'm, I'm sitting there going, like, what do you mean? I mean, mm-hmm. you trying to get a job. It's a lot more easier because your family, at some part of your family, is rich and has, and has that kind of connections or ties. So yes, it is easier for you to get a job, you know, and, and during roads and fees must fall, it really, really for me showed people. And when I say people, I mean Indian people's distance from apartheid, the true ramifications of apartheid. What does poverty actually mean for somebody who has to walk somewhere every day? So no, we don't get to be that privileged. We really don't. Mm, thank you. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, I just wanted to add on to what, uh, Tabo was talking about just now about corporate South Africa. And I do agree with him on, on a large part, on a, on a, on a, on a high level. I do agree with him on how corporate South Africa just doesn't come to the ball when it comes to understanding, um, the, well, the black, uh, well, not black, but like, yeah, presidents, disadvantaged individuals. I mean, like, what, what I have to go through just to, I have to catch a bus from Soweto to come to, to work. If I say I work in Santon, it's a two hour bus trip all the way to, to work and then all the way to back from work. Whereas you staying in Sunning Hill and you're like, it's 20, 30 minutes, um, in traffic. So, um, we have different struggles. Um, but I have a big issue. My, my, my big issue when I was talking about that, because he said something about like, if you're not as articulate, which is very true. When people as, uh, uh, associate at, uh, being articulate with intelligence, which is far from the truth. But now the problem is, it's not just white people who do that. My, my, my biggest 
problem is with black people who do that. Uh, black on black hate. Whereas if he says little instead of little, and then people make a remark about their laugh about him at it, like <laughs> pronunciation. I mean, if, 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 if Tabo's gonna laugh at me for my articulation, then what's, well, what's, what's Emily gonna say about me as well? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it starts, it all starts with self-love though. It mm-hmm. honestly does. We need to, um, black people need to come to the ball as well and understand that they all come from, they're all presented disadvantages and not everybody not everybody has the same beginning. Because some people, yes, some people have profited from the the new South Africa. Some 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 people are from like black professionals, black diamonds, as are also, also known, and they went to model C schools. And then other people didn't. There is not a reason for them to think they're better off. And now they want to no 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 they want to um be like um well you used to have this term back in high school um uh, the 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 token black guy basically. So you have like the large majority of white friends, and then you're like oh no 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 I don't believe in the black quota system. It's all based on on your abilities and stuff like that. Um, that. Well, that's a different topic altogether. But um, that's actually rubbish as well because even in sports, I mean, if you look at the, the why the reason why we had the quota system um, is because of the disadvantages our black players do have and trying to break into that field. Um, I'm talking about in terms of rugby. Um, but so. I do, on a large level, agree with Tabo. Uh, corporate South Africa is, is, is very, very problematic. They don't, they don't understand. They don't come to the ball and they assume we all have equal opportunities. We we actually don't. Mm-hmm. We, we, what I have to do to get to work to every day, what I have to do to just to get a qualification and the study loans and like what my parents do just to put me to school is far different. I'm a, when I start my first day of internship at that big corporate uh, company, I already have debt. I mean, I'm, and then when people see, well, I'm, I'm seeing as Michael, whereas I have to, um, where Michael's dad got him a car, he's paying for his, for his apartment. And then the circle, my girlfriend wants me to act the same as like, why aren't you like that? <laughs> why aren't you keeping up with like, like, it's, it's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. And that breeds a lot of frustration and anger within me as well. Whereas I have to keep up with Michael, whereas we don't have the same background. We don't have the same starting points. So that also helps. Uh, that also, um, breaks down the, the levels of communication as well and adds to my frustration. Mm-hmm. And thank you for sharing. Here's, that. here's the sad thing. Um, do, now do we realize how English or this, this colonization, this language makes certain people feel inferior? Like it's powerful. It's that powerful because you had an example now that you find guys and I, and I do have an, I, I do have that experience. You find my friends back in school. You, two black guys in school, same class, and then the other one is gonna tease the other one because of maybe grammar or not being as articulate. Do you understand how this now language is so powerful that even, like, my friends back in, in, in this, in the class would see this language as, as I don't know, special or whatever. Yes. And to me, as, as a 21st year old, like, black 21st year old, it doesn't really make me any proud. I'm highly sad. Because I'm realizing that I'm a black man in a white world, you know, in, in, in so many levels. And I'm still young. And where to from here? You know, it, it makes me less hopeful um, when you really think about how so many things are, are drawn to that colonization. You know, as much as maybe to, to other guys would be like, ah, dude, come on. When are you, maybe you speak bad. It doesn't particularly make me feel better. It doesn't because I realize that I'm, I'm under a box. I'm, I'm you know, my... Um, my culture is not as dominant. My, you know, what could have been individualism is not as dominant in me. You know, um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm a copy, you know, mm-hmm. it kind of makes you feel like you're a copy and you are just ascending to something that's, that shouldn't, should have been what you should be ascending to. So, you know, you shouldn't have ascended to that. But sadly, here came a situation, here came what, here came what. It doesn't make me feel better at all. I'm, it's, it saddens me highly and, and I'm very fearful. It makes me more fearful of the future because, hey, where to from here? It's probably going to be more or less the same thing because now I'm kind of trapped into going to corporate myself. I'm trapped into going to, you know, a certain lifestyle or, you know, because of influences or whatnot. So it's, it's, it's very sad. Mm. It's very sad. Thanks, Gohelo. Um, Michelle, are you, are you back in the chair? Are you back in the, uh, I'm back to express how I feel. Thank you. I feel very sad, heartbreaking. Because it's, I experienced it when, when I experienced it coming here to Consciousness Cafe. So coming to, to Consciousness Cafe, I, I, for me, when I relate to Consciousness Cafe, consciousness relates to being aware. So I, I, I came with that assumption that everybody here is conscious. But when I came here and I spoke to a young black, Man, he was scared to say apartheid to a black sister because of his environment. That just shows that even if you put us in that safe environment, we're still scared. We're still really scared. Can you tell us why, why someone would be afraid to use that word? Because we, it's it's it it it's it it's like how it used to be when you're growing up. Like in my generation, when I was growing up, you couldn't say, you couldn't swear, you could. There was morals. You couldn't say certain things, and there was this way of life. Especially if you went in a church home, there was you had your rules, and you grew and you learned. Ah, this is past. past like you, you grow as a youth, and you become an adult, and you learn. And you know you can say certain things when you have an understanding of life. But we haven't gotten to a space where we can speak freely about it. We haven't, you, you, we can't learn. We haven't learned from it. Most of us, because we can't speak about it. We can't, it's, don't speak about it because my mother, I can't speak about it to my family because it brings back so much. It brings a lot of hurt to me when I think back to all our cadres, to all our real fighters that fought for this freedom and that when freedom came and they assumed this, this is now the elderly. When you tell, if, when a young person tells an elderly who, when I tell my grandmother who was fighting in the struggle with the major ANC leaders of, of that time being the Chris Hanis and Winnie Mandela, when I must tell her my struggles, it hurts her. It hurts her so deeply she doesn't understand it because in her mind, I fought for that. I, I'm expecting you to be able to, to achieve the things that I thought I fought for. But you're like, but ma, it's, the world is not like that. I can't. I can't, ma. Yeah, she'd be like, yeah, ma, yeah, fang, yeah, you can also go. But I'm like, but mommy, when I get there, it's not the same. But they can't understand because it's different lives. And the freedom that they thought we have, we don't have it. We don't have that. Thank you, Michelle. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, okay, I feel like a lot of hopelessness. 
in the room. <laughs> a lot of reality, of, And thank you, Alison. I was actually going to ask for, for a white voice to actually <laughs> um, respond to, to, to what has been going on for the last um, few minutes. So first I'd just like to say to Cajelo that I really hope you won't feel that you're in a box and have to go a corporate route unless it's the route you want to go because I think something that was coming up so often was about being ourselves and maybe some of the differences that have been spoken about that come from the school system um, I don't think we can generalize and I'm going to come back to that in a moment because that was actually my main point um, because just as an example um, Claire described her school experience and I'm quite a bit older than Claire um, and also was educated mostly in South Africa but I had a very different experience. So I had an experience where I was really encouraged to speak up and beginning of high school is where I really learned to find my voice because I went to a, funny enough, multiracial school uh, only slightly because it was very new that that started. But it was a very small school, which was very different. And then I carried that on even when I went into a more conventional school after that. So I was privileged in that respect that I've always been given my voice. And maybe the subtle difference in not just in the schools, um, in, in the society around the person, the subtle difference is that a lot of white people are encouraged to follow the route they want to go, proportionately, probably, a lot more than black people would be encouraged. So that's a huge advantage. So when you speak about having been lucky enough to be in schools that have given you a good education and a lot of advantages, I hope you'll take the one that says you can choose the path you want to take. And if we all were taking more the path we wanted to take, then a lot of what we've been talking about today would be different. But in terms of, of um, the things that I feel or you know, how I feel about things, I was alternating just now between both a frustration and a sadness and, and going back and forth between them. And it's around whether we... See each other as individuals or whether we generalize. So, to me, if we can speak openly with um, awareness of ourselves and the person we're speaking to, the one of the big things that it changes is that the say two people who've been speaking together, they are seeing each other as individuals. If they're speaking openly and honestly and they're speaking about themselves as opposed to requoting something else. And when we see each other as individuals, that to me is what breaks down the barriers. Because now the other person's a human who who may be different from me, but they're different not because they are old or black or a particular religion, they, they are different because they like soccer and I like rugby. Mm. Um, whereas what was, what was giving me the feelings of sadness and frustration is that we keep going to generalizations. Um, and I see it when I'm in conversation outside of this room, 
there will be mostly white people in my circle and people will generalize about black people. And I say, well, or, or maybe Indian people. And I'll say, that's not my experience. You know, I, I interact with people in a work environment um, a lot, in a very mixed environment. And I'll say, but that's not what I experience when I'm working with people. So those people were generalizing. But here in the room, we're generalizing as well. Um, and I, I often hear white people described and I think, okay, who are they? Because that's not me and that's not my circle of friends. Um, and there was a, a comment just now about s- somebody whose father bought them a car. And yes, I do know lots of parents who bought their kids cars, but um, I, I didn't buy my children cars. Well, my son, if he's listening, will say he still has to ride a motorbike. Um, but back 30, 40 years ago, I didn't have a car bought for me either. So, and, and yet I'm a middle class white person. And that's just one little example where we generalize. It doesn't detract from differences of socioeconomic backgrounds at all. But I just think that as long as we keep hanging on to these generalizations and stereotypes, they themselves create the reason why we don't need to cross the barrier in in um, the discussion that Sandile and I were having at the beginning, he asked, is it true that people are angry? And he said, it may be, but, but on what do we base that? And isn't there a risk that if we label it that people are angry, then we can say, that's it. We've identified it and we don't have to now deal with it. And if we don't label it, maybe we have to deal with it. So I'm thinking that if we label Generally, black people poor, white people well-to-do, black people have nothing or next to nothing, white people have lots or everything. And as soon as we do that sort of thing, we now don't need to to come closer because there's an obvious barrier. Um, I've seen some frustration coming from you, Alison, um, especially when you said... Um you know, when you hear everybody speaking and they're saying white people this and white people that. And I just want to probe a little bit further on, on that. Like, then how do you, how does that make you feel? Because actually I was about to ask for either you or Lorraine to, to respond to some of what was being said. Because, um, yeah, this is a space where everybody must kind of say what they, what they need to say. So it, makes me feel that I really wish we could see into each other's individual circumstances much more accurately because, as I said, I think it's a barrier. So I sometimes feel that I want to engage in a conversation that that really looks to see what is the truth. So it takes every statement that that I might think is true, every statement the other person might think is is true, and and tries to break those down a little bit like Africa Check that's now doing the thing with the news, um, and say, is this true? Because if it's true, and it really is true, that's fine, let it stand. But if it's not true, what is it holding us back from 
because we believe it. So the, the comments were made about language and education. And I'm thinking there's an obvious one there. If, if I believe that it's true that if somebody, uh, can't speak very well structured English, that that means that they have a poor education, then that holds me back from all sorts of interactions with that person. That I, I probably won't even bother to go into certain conversations if I believe that the person doesn't have enough education to engage that topic. Even that's an assumption. Do we need a education in order to engage on a topic? Or can we just engage from our own experience? So I, I think it's creating a lot of barriers and we are limiting ourselves. Can I, can I just comment something about the language? Because I started learning Zulu and then I was walking down the street and I spoke to some little children in Zulu and this guy who come out of this house, he was, admittedly I think he was a bit drunk, but he heard me speaking Zulu to the little girls, a black guy, and he swore at me, you effing white bitch. Um, and I just thought, wow. And so it's also true that some people don't like white people learning a vernacular language, it makes them angry as well. So there's another stereotype is that about learning the language because that also brings up different feelings in different people. Just, I just wanted to add that because it's an interesting experience. And someone said earlier about, um, oh gosh, now I can't think what the words were, but it, it was based on a, it indicated a perception. Oh, that somebody said we need to look where's the anger coming from. So I'm thinking, so if one takes what you experienced and I was able to understand why did that man swear at you? Mm. And and I can guess at some of the reasons. And and I think then if I was right with my guesses, he he's assuming something negative about why you've chosen to speak Zulu. And in your mind, it may not be any of those things. It's a it's a positive thing. Um, so. The perception and the assumptions more so that we have about why somebody is doing what they're doing, that's creating the barriers. And we can only find if those are assumptions or incorrect perceptions if we're having the, the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I wanna answer or comment on how do I feel. Mm. I feel angry. It, it, I feel, I feel angry in so many ways. Let me, let me first talk about this, 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 this man you just spoke about and his reaction towards you. It just reminded me of some statement I, I had or read some some years ago that was made by Sir George Gray. They say Sir George Gray when he came or when the troops or the people that were deployed in South Africa came back to England to report to him on what was happening then in 1652 or, or 1852. It was the people or missionaries that were sent here and they couldn't penetrate or get into the communities 
the, the in the west i mean around the coast in the i mean in the east or the or west I don't know. Now, in the coast, they couldn't penetrate or they couldn't uh, convince or get through to those people. And they were, they were armed, but they couldn't win any of the battles with those, uh, with those uh, chiefs. He said, you will not win with those people because those people, they, they are led by the chiefs or by their kings. They follow, they respect their kings and their cultures. Now, in order for you to break through, you must learn their cultures, you must learn their languages, and then convince them and tell them that your language is superior, your culture is superior. In order for them to, be, to, to, to develop or to be popular in the world, they must submit to you. They must speak your languages. They must, they must be you. Which means we must not be ourselves. That was said hundreds of years ago. And today, I want my kid to be top class in English. I want my kid to be in an English or modesty school. And if my kid cannot speak English, then he or she will not progress. I just wanted to, to pass that. I feel angry because I don't know what my parents think or feel. I do know that they are not happy with the fact that some of us are not working. We can't get into the corporate world. We can't get into the government positions. I am angry because some of, of us that are in those positions, we are enriching ourselves and not uplifting up our communities. I am angry because what my grandfathers did, I couldn't learn it. Because instead of learning what they did, I was taught to move away from that space, to be employed and work for somebody else. I will not be rich if I don't get into that corporate world. Yes, I am angry. How do I move out of that space? I've got a cousin of mine who is in New City. I spoke to him about two years ago. He's doing each other other accountants or something like that. I said to him, he's very good in whatever he does. I said to him, you are one of the top students. And after you have passed, after I've graduated from this, you will be, you will be working for one of your, of your, of your students, I mean, for one of your colleagues currently in class. You will be working for one of those. Because they would have identified, they are with you in class. They know that you are good at one, two, three. 
They have a base. You don't have a base. And you want to be in a, in a, in a, in a level, in your, le- in, in the level that, that you want, you want to fit with them. You want to be with them. You want to drive the BMWs. And if you come back home from a zero base and you are a graduate, you know your, 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 the price tag in you is you, you, you can't be earning less than a hundred thousand rands or you can't be less than earning less than 50,000 rands. But if you are home, you cannot, you cannot make it. You cannot, you won't have this 50,000 rands. So you will have to work for those guys for you to, to, to be able to be free. I mean, to be economically free. Now we need a way or a system that would say, I have this dream. I want to live this life. This is what I have. I spoke to, 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 to this guy when I got here about a certain poet. This girl, she's, she's into culture. She's been doing her poetry. She's been writing her poetry for the past, I don't know how long. She's, uh, I think she's 26 years old. But that's what she's been doing. She's been writing, writing, writing. But she cannot publish any of those things because she has, she knows none of the publishers. She doesn't have a way of putting what she knows on paper and be known by the world. When, when, when I was speaking earlier on, I, I, I thought of Umamu Miriam Makeba. She never went to any, any of these model schools, but because she could express herself, she was the first one in 1961 to be in a, in a, in a, to address the United Nations and talk about what was happening in South Africa because of the confidence she had. And, and, and she pushed it. In, in, through her music. And her music was not, was not mantled with, 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 with other artists that were, 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 the, were the top artists in the world then. Mm. But she just put her own music in her own way. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. You've been wanting to talk for a while. Um, I'm Noreen. I see you come closer to the, you've come closer to the mic. I'm Noreen. Can you please share with us your response? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm listening here to everything and, uh, I've been in a lot of these discussions and I love them. I love, I used to love them. I, um, <laughs> I've burned my fingers a little bit, you know, and it's been for about two and a half years, you know, since the, uh, Road Must Fall, um, came up and, and it's been a journey for me. Um, and, you know, since I was young, even I love talking about these things and I love the country and racial discussions. And I love trying to figure out how I can help and change and be responsible and speak to my people and try and get them to wake up, you know. Um, and what I said in the beginning was uh, that that part of the dream is that the anger gets that it subsides. You know, if you have people hearing the anger then hopefully they can address it or change or do something, you know, and, and that's the dream. 
But I feel sad as I sit here now, you know, and, and extremely disillusioned and very demoralized about this conversation and, and, um, because there are less and less white people attending these kind of discussions. You know, I'm, I'm at Vits and I'm uh, in the church and we, we're having these discussions and, and you'll see that there are less and less white faces because the few brave ones that have come <laughs> to here have been, uh, have been, you know, censored. And, uh, and, and let me, First say that I think that the time that we're in now, and I've learned this from these discussions, and I'm very grateful for that, is that black people are angry, and they need to express that anger. It needs to come out, and it needs to be spoken about, and I respect that. But it's very uncomfortable being a white person because... I think the fact that that I that I'm you know a religious helps me because you know there's a culture with us of absorbing pain, absorbing what's coming to you, and I think that that's a necessary thing to do is to just sit and absorb. I mean, listening to this story is like it's hectic, you know, and I'm uh, I hate hearing this stuff. It's embarrassing. It's awful, you know. And you guys are talking about you know getting courage from your history i don't get courage from the history of of apartheid i don't get any courage from that you know it's embarrassing but um yeah i i think there's a necessary space for black people expressing their anger and white people absorbing it but my plea is that we call it that and we don't call it a discussion because it's not a discussion even the topic for today um why is it so difficult for us to talk to each other about the fear and anger that still divides us is not speaking about white people's fear and anger in any way i if i'm wrong you can tell me but mm. i think it's talking about why is it difficult for black people to speak to white people mm. about their fear and anger if i t- if i sit here and tell you about my fear of black people and my anger at black people you'll chase me out of the room you know maybe not because it's conscious stuff and we have some good <laughs> some good facilitators here but the it feels to me that these discussions are always rigged uh, to lean towards the black side and and there are two things that that come up every time and that hurt me when i hear them the first is that people talk about white tears you know, I've been in a discussion where somebody said, you're white. I said, I, I said out loud, I don't feel safe in this space anymore because I felt like I was not being well represented, you know, and, and they said, your white emotions are not important anymore. It's had its turn. It's over now. White tears, you know, white people, uh, F white tears, you know, and, and for me, who's like an artist and an emotional person and a woman and an expressor to hear that it's like, I don't know where to go from there. Like, that's all I've got is my, my honesty and my sincerity and my appeal to humanity. And if you tell me, if your white tears, it's like, I can't move from there, you know? The second thing is when people say, I mean, it's, it's a fact that it's time for white people to listen. And, and I remember the last consciousness cafe I was at, my conclusion was that white people must sit at black people's feet and listen and learn. But, I mean, if that's the truth, then I don't really have a voice. So my voice is devalued. My emotions are not valued. Then that's not a discussion anymore. That is a, that is something else. And I've been so disappointed many times going to these discussions thinking that I'm included and, and realizing that I really am not with good reason, with good reason. But I'm, I, I think if we keep going in that direction, you can't expect white people to attend. It just kills me. I'm more negative about the country after discussion than before because I feel like I'm, I, I, I'm useless. I, my hands are cut off and I feel, I feel angrier than when I came. I came with good intentions. I leave feeling like, you know, 
my humanity is not uh, actually re- respected. So, um, Yeah, so I just think that if we really want to change this country, because unfortunately, white people need to get on board and they need to be educated. We've established that. These Afrikaner guys that we were talking about, they need to be educated. But there's going to be, um, we need to have a little bit more grace with white people if we want to educate them. We need to give them room to say stupid things and not be, you know, shunned into oblivion um, because they've said those things. Um, Yeah, that's... That's what I have to say. Thank you for being so honest, Lorraine. And I can see there's a lot of response to what you're saying. Um, and we are very close to having to go to our break, but we are going to take the responses from... Do you want to say something, yeah, Cam? Sandy and then Cam, and then, and then Michelle. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about the, the language thing. Like... Um, um, no, no, no. We need to respond to to this voice here. Oh no, I don't want to respond to that. <laughs> May I? Yes, you need to stay with that voice. I I'd like to say to bring to the attention, South Africa is the only country in Africa that when we got to uh, end apartheid, the system. The only country that didn't actually fight for it, that didn't have a platform to low say they say, didn't have a platform to right their wrongs. The only one was the Truth and Reconciliation platform, but that was based on our two elders at the time and their perception. And it wasn't solely what the people of the country needed and wanted. So I just want to say to white people that when you feel like you attend sessions like these, and you feel out and you feel hurt like you're not included or we haven't even had this is my first you've probably gone through those this is my second time that i'm in an environment where i can really speak freely what i'm really feeling as a a person who has experienced apartheid and who's experiencing the segregation who's still experiencing the poverty i see it I am a South African that is truly mixed. My father's an Indian. My mother's a black. My grandfather's a Swati. I grew up in an Indian neighborhood and a colored neighborhood and I'm married to a Kosa man. My kids are Kosa. I understand <laughs> different cultures of, of our, of our people. I've been in all, all of those societies. I've been in the poor to the middle to the, most poverty-stricken parts of the country where I've physically spent my time and I'm experiencing the proper high wealth of it all of our country. And it's so few of us. It's so few. There is so few of of people that are educated, that are understand, that are conscious. So when black people get to this, we it's the only time. It's like when we... When it comes to roads, people, it's like what the other guy was saying. We do not go and see the way those people are living while still looking after our land in our homelands and do what they receive. Is that really what they deserve? We don't get those. It's difficult. Our democracy is still too young. It's only been 20 years. And in that 20 years, there's been so many faults. There's been so many wrongs. And I don't blame our government and our people for the decisions that have made when we took back our so-called freedom, because it's not yet, we haven't gotten it back. So 
I just want to say, like, it's not just Uhuru. Like, this freedom is not there. Like, you feel like, oh, white people, we don't have a voice. But listen, you want a, you want a, you want the, uh, the government to fix the potholes, but in the homeland there isn't even a road. Mm. So we're not there. We can't. I can't. It, it's like it goes back to the Black Lives Matter movement. The reason why we say Black Lives Matter is be, it's not that we don't consider the other races. The other races, you're already halfway. So we're trying to get us black people. First, black sister, understand, love yourself. In my house, I do not allow my children to play with any white dolls. To a point that my child gets so scared. At school, she goes to a white school. Very white school And the teachers For playtime They have Barbie And they gave her a Barbie And she was playing with everything But she wasn't playing with the doll And she's like I can't play with the doll And teacher's like It's just a doll And she says I can't play with the doll Teacher you do not understand So the teacher called me And asked me What is wrong with Barbie? And I had to explain to her that I need my child to first love herself. Mm. It's not that it's just a doll. It's a white doll. It's a doll with blue eyes. It's a doll with blonde hair, straight hair. It might have black hair, but it's straight hair. And then my child comes home and sees her mother wake up, black woman, this terrible hair, brown skin. She She won't love herself. She won't love me. She loves this doll, mommy, this doll that everybody's playing with. But she don't understand. The teacher wouldn't understand why it's not just a child. I have to teach my child to love herself first so that she can not be, she can be confident when she moves on. She can be confident to decide what she wants to do. My child does ballet. She does Bella like on a high level And in Bella you're supposed to wear makeup And she says it all the time She even says to the teacher last year during Bella exams She asked am I beautiful And the teacher said yes The teacher said then I don't need the makeup And that made me so proud The reason why she can do that Is because I've given her that space And she's one of many The others are not on her same level That's what scares me That's what bothers me That's why hence I suggested in education, education of our history. And this education should not be only given to black people, to white people. It should be given to everybody across race, across every level. It shouldn't only be on a school level. It should be, and it's a teaching for black people. You are great. You are not just a kitchen girl. You are not just that garden sweeper. Whatever your mind thinks, that's what you can achieve. It it, we don't even know our creator. We're so afraid to express our culture. Mm-hmm. It's like when Spusiso showed us the picture of how education was taught. The expressions are different because it, we, we are not proud. We don't know our history. For If my child is to see that, she'll be like, Mommy, why is she not dressed properly? I, I just want to quickly add to the generalizations. My my issue with with um, that point is that there's still systemic and institutional racism, and the, you know because when when I hear white people talking about it, it's always like, oh, it was never me. I never had that privilege that you talk about, and that is so incredibly frustrating. And you know, you'll get the few white people who go, oh, I fought for apartheid, and I'm like, why did the system manage to sustain itself that long if there were that many white conscious people? Can we just be honest and acknowledge that the privilege was enjoyed, it continues to be enjoyed? Mm-hmm. And I think what exhausts me about this is like 
yes, I don't want to hurt your feelings ever. Uh, that's not my goal in life. But I am so sick and tired of like white people coming into this kind of space. And we must be grateful for the few that actually do attend. No, it's not about that. It's about the majority of you won't even sit and have these kind of conversations. But the few of you who come don't want to actually hear. You don't want to hear about black pain because we are so good at policing black pain all the time. And for me, it's like when you, you know, when you, when you brought up, raised up the issues about you want to leave and you feel demoralized. Yes, I get it. But look at the privilege. Look at the absolute privilege. You get to go home, you know, cause we had the same thing. Uh, I'm sorry for the person who said, F white tears. We had the same situation in UCT where white young gentleman stood up and he cried. And he, I think, I don't know if the expectation was sympathy or empathy, but a lot of people felt like he gets to cry. He gets to go home. To, to a privileged life, right? And he still has that kind of privilege. But it's almost like you want to contain it and say, like, let's, you almost want to dictate the terms of what we want to talk about. Yes, these conversations are going to be predominantly about black pain because they need to be about black pain. And you, we wanting sympathy and all of that, it has to stop. And when I say we, I include the Indian community in this. I feel very, very strongly about it because we have similar views like white people and it just needs to stop. We don't understand the full extent of apartheid because we were not, we were not victims of the full effects of apartheid. So it's very unfair of us to, to ask black people to stop talking about it and they should and we should as people of color go as long as we need to as long as it's in responsible confines because white people are just way 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 too privileged economically socio you know constraints so this little this little bit of of freedom that we get to express ourselves we need to be allowed to do that without restrictions just one last thing you know trevor noah had um this right-wing person person, Tommy Lorraine, Lorraine on her show. And she criticized, um, Colin Kaepernick for protesting against the American anthem. Uh, she, she criticized the Black Lives Matter and Trevor kept pushing her and saying to her, how, how are black people supposed to protest? Because you see, white people seem to have an idea, a correct idea of protest. The, the system of apartheid raped this country. Okay. It was violent, extremely, extremely violent. But yet when protests turned violent, we're struggling to understand how. And that for me is so problematic. And she was not able to give a decent response as to how it's appropriate for black people to express their pain. Thanks, Kim. Um, I think I, sh- I think it's a high, um, in a different way, note um, that we need to now kind of group what's been happening and and reflect that back to everyone. And I kind of feel a little guilty to send everyone. Out in on this note, so I don't know if Claire, if you have a suggestion of how we can, because I acknowledge all the voices that have spoken in the room, and I think that's why we do this, um, and we do it in amongst a lot of criticism, and a part of me as a black woman, a criticism that I get is is is, is working with a white woman, and um, what you know the kumbaya thing that I spoke about earlier, and. Um, and also a part that that feels, you know, 
to what a little bit of what um, Lorraine was saying, um, our, my expression or my taking or my behavior in relation to to the white pain or the white anger or the white fear. And to be honest, it's not always there. I don't always have the patience, and I'm also a Christian, and it's really very daunting and sometimes very frustrating. And you know, speaking with taking off the facilitator's head right now, and being you know a participant, I, I would say this is the time for black people to speak and be angry. Unfortunately. And we need, we need the white people in the room to express that too. And yes, it wasn't you. And yes, it wasn't even your father. And maybe your father was on the different side of the tracks and he was doing different things. But the fact that you are there reminds me of that humanity that is in the white person that I need to hold on to so that I can get to that place that I love for my child. So I do need you there, but. I also don't need you there, mm. you know? So I don't know if that makes any sense, but. Yeah, it's really interesting because we had this, we've had this criticism and we've also had this discussion. A lot of people, they come back from Consciousness Cafe and they say, I need to go back to my own people. I need to sit with people who look like me. I don't need to go back to Consciousness Cafe ever. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it makes us question ourselves, is, are we doing the right thing to create this platform and to create this space? Um, and, you know, and as a white facilitator, I question myself because I get it wrong and I'm bullshy and that's just the kind of person I am. And people will, will attack you. And, and then you sit with your white tears and you think, how am I going to, how am I going to get through the next week with these white tears? Because there's not that many people. I need to find more people who are doing what I'm doing so they can support me on my white tears journey because I can't ask Keke, even though she does her best sometimes. And then sometimes she just tells me to shut up. But, um, yeah, so I don't know. It's, 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 I guess it's also interesting if we could also have a little bit more discussion. It's like, you know, what is the right way for this to go forward? Are we doing the right thing by having these conversations or do we need to do it in a different way? I don't know. I feel that that's sort of, Something that I don't know if anyone's got any thoughts on that or Alison has. She's coming, she's coming forward. So what strikes me is one of the things that was mentioned earlier about having the conversation is the possibility that it allows anger to dissipate. And it was something Sandile and I discussed in the very beginning as well. And then I look at what's been the course of today's conversation and I think in a way it's built up to a point of anger um, so then I think perhaps it has to go on for longer uh, but it's already a fairly lengthy session um, so how practical is that and really are conversations if they were just happening on a much more informal basis ever going to be even this long and certainly not longer so if this isn't a way that allows, or right now in this room doesn't allow the anger to start to dissipate, what would it take for the anger to be able to dissipate? Because I, I don't believe that we can just close the door on the past, but I do believe we have to heal the past 
and move forward because we cannot stay forever stuck with the past. Mm. So what would it take for that to be possible? Because I think perhaps in some of the answer of that would lead us to have some more answers about whether things like Consciousness Cafe should take place. And that, that might be a good place for us to have our break. Um, because we're gonna, we're gonna have a break and we're gonna listen to a, a song. And when we get back, our participants are gonna do the last part of our dialogue, which is our actions. And our actions is all, is sort of from this dialogue, from this experience, we're gonna think of something that we as individuals want to do. Suggestions, ideas, um, what we want to do personally. And we've always found this really important part of the dialogue um, can be a small thing, can be a large thing. Sometimes people invite us and say, please come to my community and have another consciousness cafe. Or actually, I'm starting a blacks only group in my community. So we've had all of these outcomes from this. And also as listeners, we'd love to hear what your actions are, how you feel about this. So please WhatsApp us. It's 79 Seven four eight two zero nine zero, or you can tweet to Cliff Central, and the hashtag is Conscious Radio. Thank you, and I'd just like to reiterate about the actions and the accountabilities, and a large part of why we we, we do do Consciousness Cafe, and about personal accountability, um, and you know. Tabo and Michelle worked the conversation very well about education and then Tabo about being accountable to the kind of education that you get. So the purpose of these actions and accountabilities are also for what you can do in your personal space or what piece of the responsibility are you taking that you can action um, and, and by when can you do that and who's, who are you going to hold responsible, um, you know, who's going to hold you responsible, make sure that you actually follow through because as much as you know, there is the, the, the big thing about the white people and the black people. There's also each of us as individuals. And a lot of us have spoken, I mean, Alison has spoken to generalizations. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot to deal with. There's a lot of things, but we are, there's also us, all of us. There are 11 individuals in this room. And how can, whatever I do in my circle or in my family, somehow um, bring something to even the topic that we're discussing today. Um, so you, you have, um, 15 minutes and then we'll come back at 5.30 and then you guys will share with us, um, what, what your ac- actions and accountabilities are. You're free to move finally and <laughs> thank you. Okay, welcome back everybody. Um, so we've had some WhatsApps sent through, some interesting ones. So I'll read a couple of them for you. The first one is, um, please ask your panel if they believe the Afri Forum, free, uh, FF, which I suppose is the Freedom Front or Frey Hates Front, um, uh, plus could sit, could sit and discuss the future of SA with EFF, the African Economic Radicals. The same way that the real ANC, Tabombeki, everyone, and the National Party, Pigbuata, and his verlifters, etc. And if so, where do you think the middle ground would be? Yeah, where, where do you think the middle ground would be? Hmm. In relation to economy, education, and the land issue. Very interesting. 
that's another topic for another day, possibly. Um, yeah, it will be successful getting the three of them in one room. Um, and then also, I think some of us are still afraid. I think some of us are still afraid of coughing out whatever it is that is bothering us. So a sense that, um, when was this? At which can we see at which part of the dialogue it was? Because that's interesting. So someone was feeling that there's something that's still not being said in the room, which is which is quite interesting. Um, and I think um, you know towards the end, quite a quite a few of the things that must have been bubbling under during the discussion were starting to you know come out and yeah and um, needed addressing. Um, and we actually went on a bit longer than we intended to because we felt like we needed to to get the stuff out. Um, and on that note, I'll also just um, go through some of the things that 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 I picked up, and Clay will also share um, that were in this dialogue today. Um, so the topic was um, why is it so difficult for us to talk about the pain and anger that still divides us? And someone in the in the topic um, during the dialogue said. You know, she put it in the black and white sense. She said, why is it so difficult for black and white people to talk about the pain and anger of their past? Because clearly black, both black and white people have their own fears and angers about this, this talking and this, this, um, this really getting into the meaty stuff about, about the, the challenges that we're still facing in South Africa. Yeah, but her point was that she felt that it was only the black pain that the question was actually pointing to, which is kind of interesting because when we set the question in the car the other day, we didn't do that. We left it quite open-ended because we thought that people would talk about white pain or other pain too. But it was interesting that that really was what people felt was was the main pain mm. straight straight from the bat, which, I mean, is where we are as a country right mm. now, isn't it? Yeah, very true. Um, so I'm just going to, to go through the, the topics um, and... Well, the, the things that were coming out during the discussion, um, well, obviously the anger and, <clears throat> I mean, especially when Claire spoke about her reference to speaking Zulu and having a white, a black man respond to that by swearing at her and, um, just, uh, I think yesterday or the day before, Anisha was talking about how she greeted one of her security guards at work in, 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 in Sutu and he was very like, uh, and what must happen now? Um, do you expect a pat on the back or whatever? And, and I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of blind rage as well. That, that's really like, there's kind of like nothing you can do right or nothing you can do wrong in that kind of a space. And like Alison was maybe suggesting that maybe it is about whiling it a bit longer or, or just waiting to see. You know what's going to happen because it is there and it is going to happen. And you know, your attempts are not maybe necessarily going to get a positive response sometimes, but that's just where we are as a country at the moment. And I think one of the other big things that came out was, was censorship, like being censored. And, and, and it started off being black people being censored or coming into a Western or capital world and being censored. But I mean, a, a little bit of it was also said, um, of, of, from the white people who felt like, you know, there is this, um, the censorship of feelings, maybe that, that, that should, ha- should happen. Like, they're not supposed to feel a certain way, or they're not supposed to feel negative. Um, which is, which is also very interesting because, I mean, and, and I think one of the reasons for Consciousness Cafe is to bring to the fore our human feelings. And yes, the feelings are there and they're different. And they, the, the experience of them in the world, in the South African society is also different. But there can be similar feelings of censorship from both ends, for example. 
Um, I don't know if um, Claire wants to speak to anything else that... Well, you're, you're throwing me, you're throwing me in the deep end here, KK. I, I was watching you go down your list and I felt very comfortable that I wasn't going to have to say anything for a while. But uh, you've put on loss of identity. Mm. I mean, that's the thing that you just hear that so much at Consciousness Cafe is that sense of lost, being lost, lost where I belong, lost where you belong. Just no one knowing quite who they are supposed to be, which was quite interesting because are we supposed to be something other than ourselves? And it is that our identity, that apartheid identity was always something outside of us, external. Um, and we had that, you know, remember that discussion we had once where the topic that came up is why are our identities being forced upon us? Um, and the other one that we came up with the other day was in Pretoria. The group said, um, why do you assume because I look like you, I have the same prejudice as you? So it, it really is that grappling. And it just makes me think about, we know they talk about soft skills. That's really mm. quite a quite a jargon term. But are we actually being taught or are we working with those soft skills in this country? We know we're all trying to get an MBA or a BA or a BCom so we can get some job and drag ourselves out of an economic pit. But actually, are we forgetting something else then? Because that was a big part of today was... Mm. What kind of education, what kind of things are we teaching each other and teaching ourselves and valuing in ourselves? Um, when you say that, you, when you say that, you also remind me of when, when somebody said positive appropriation, which is beautiful because she said then we can actually be appreciating each other's cultures and it can be felt in a positive way when someone is expressing your culture. For example, if a white woman wears a situation, instead of feeling that it's a cultural appropriation and the negative things attached to it, it can feel positive in the same way that, you know, black people are speaking English and, you know, a lot of white people then comment on how articulate they are and is now being interpreted as racist or supremacist. And in some cases it probably is, but I mean, it's, it's that. And I think there's just so much to juggle um, in communicating to one another and in talking and actually I guess the answer in, in, in why it is difficult for us to communicate and, and talk about the pain and anger because we're coming from different perspectives and different places with the pain and anger and also different levels of understanding and compassion and empathy for each other about where we specifically sit in the anger. Um, but what I believe is, is kind of a uni, or should be a, un, a universal truth. And, you know, I'm saying this also as a black person is that, you know, black people have, I don't want to say suddenly woken up to this anger or suddenly woken up to, all the challenges and maybe the government or there are so many other factors that are contributing to it. But the structural and economic differences in this country are certainly not alleviating the differences that we are experiencing on a racial basis. And that is something that is in our face every day. And that is probably another barrier. I mean, one of our participants kept speaking about barriers. And if a barrier is something that you experience from the morning when you wake up, when you have to boil water in a kettle, as opposed to somebody just switching on the tap, that is your everyday experience. It's something that you lather yourself with from the minute you open your eyes. And how easy is it going to be for you to have the empathy and the compassion when that is your reality? And I think... I think, you know, it's, it's, it's been expressed in, in, in some ways in the, in the dialogue today. And it's something that we all have to kind of reflect on. And even Bongizio's song, what is freedom? You know, when there is no freedom for everyone. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, it's nearly time for everybody to come back in. 
Yeah, it, maybe we can play one more song, Palessa. That would be great while we invite everybody back in. Are you playing one? Okay. <laughs>
This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome back, everybody. So we have everybody back in the room to share their actions and accountabilities with us. But before we do that, um, I'm just going to um, share one more WhatsApp that we had, which is very interesting because it's in response to um, something that somebody spoke about during the dialogue about a, a, a black poet. Um, during the dialogue, somebody mentioned a poet who does not know where to publish. It might be good. To announce, it might be a good uh, idea to announce that Usanga Usanga Press has an open submission period until the end of February, and they focus on publishing South African poetry. So there we go. So Consciousness Cafe is not just uh, about talking, it's also about connecting people. Um, And in addition to that, we'd also like to, um, we also were live 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 streaming on Facebook, which is Great. So our collaboration today is not just with Cliff Central um, and UNESCO for World Radio Day, but also with Facebook, which is really great for for us. Um, so, does um, so Tabo is volunteered to t- share his actions and accountabilities with us first. Okie dokie. <clears throat> so, um, where do we start? You know. S- there's a number of people that have spoken about issues of black consciousness, for example, Steve Biko being one that, that comes to mind, Malcolm X, a few other leaders of the civil rights movement in the States a while back. And one of the things that stood out is understanding and appreciating and loving yourself as a person. So one of my actions, particularly, um, especially as a new father, is you know, given the resources I have now, thank you. <laughs> I think I need to do more work for my daughter to understand herself as a young black female. Um, going to her, I would call it motherland, you know, cause originally my family's from Lesotho. So it's important that I give her the opportunity to take that journey, which I didn't get from my, from my father because resources were an issue at the time. So I think it's something that I need to invest in as an important action for her identity, for her to appreciate and accept who she is, her journey, what her name is, what it means, because she was given her name by, by, by my grandparents. So I think that self-identity is an important action for her. And I think... On the same breath, it's important that I also play a role in educating, especially my white peers, about what it means to be a black person. You know, what are some of my frustrations? Sit down, have a coffee, have a chat. Um, and obviously a lot of the issues, as we've heard today, are sensitive issues. They can be hurtful. They can be painful. But I think it's important that happens. You know, one of the most beautiful things that I'm appreciate about the conflict and things that happened last year with this whole fees must fall is that it actually forced people to sit down and talk truth about issues of the past and how it impacts education today. So I think it's important as part of our accountability as people that participants on this forum to take something forward that'll speak truth. It will cause some conflict here and there and discomfort and, but it's a necessary discomfort. So I think it's important we take that forward. Thank That's you very me. much. Thank you, Tao. Thank you. That's a little bit of an answer about whether Consciousness Cafe should be doing this or not. <laughs> okay. Michelle, I'd like my view on my action going forward on the topic would be to continue educating as many people 
that I can, that I encounter, that I, where I realize, when I know that we're on a site, I'm on a platform that, where I can view, where I can get an understanding with, and to educate people, our people about our history as a black people. It's, it's an ugly thing, but we must speak about this ugly thing. It goes back, because we have an example of it with the, the Holocaust. The Holocaust was ugly. World War Two, World War One, and uh, all uh, what the, the Greek Empire watching all these all these movies about how <coughs> all other cultures found came to their greatness, and but there isn't that for Africa and Africans that our stories are not being given that pride that it needs to be given because we do not know our history. So we I just like to ask you how are you how I'm your, going to yeah. me would be in teaching in teaching as many people that I can about our history and not stopping to talk about it and getting the courage to talk about it and view and and voice it, even when it's difficult. Because in showing the younger ones and people that are feeling inferior that it's okay to talk about it. It is your history. We need to talk about it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. So me as Ukamkhelo from Metzakani, I feel like, I mean, contrast to that, I feel like, you know, a lot of my friends, a lot of people from Mekasi, like, they know about this history. And, um, Maybe they feel frustrated every day Or they feel like You know, certain people are They just look at certain people as superior already So I feel like what I need to do is um, I mean, it, it starts with my friends It starts with schooling It starts from, uh, at school Where you, you kind of put pressure on them to be themselves And to express themselves As much as they want to express themselves And be great, be ambitious because uh, in the next 20 years, <laughs> Vision 2030, I don't think we anything is going to be like backtracked where maybe a certain land has been given. You know, there's not going to be that. So to push that ambition within them, be, you know, whatever they want to do, let them do it at best they can so they become successful. You know, because for me right now going forward, there's no other, particularly an alternative that would reflect something that has to do with our past, like our tribalism, how, you know, culture is going to be dominant. For me, is to just teach them to be like, oh, put pressure on them and be like, let us work hard. Let us be successful. You know, let us express ourselves, but understand that um, a certain dynamic of certain people are, you know, even otherwise people are not as... It's it's not really what it seems. You you think it seems, you know. So yeah, that's that's my action going forward from here. Um, as as from where I come from. So. Okay. Thank you. Don't sit back, Sibusisi. We can't have radio silence. <laughs> oh, here's Tato. Um. Well, going on with what Tabo said, I'm not just everybody was, I was just talking about up until now. It's, it's about education. Um, I'm an uncle. I'm a big brother. Um, my action plan going forward is to, to educate the, the, the well, guys younger than me and my little sisters as well about, the, about the past, about their history and about growing themselves, growing in the full knowledge of, of where they come from and where they can go. Um, 
I do believe is we need to accept what happened in the past and uh, and find out who we are. But then also we also need to start looking forward. We also need to start building on that. I do believe. Um, I know people say I'm naive for this, but I do believe in in a, in a, in, a, in a very colorful rainbow nation of South Africa where like we we accept our differences. I I like I like differences. So um, <laughs> we accept the differences and 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 we 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 bask in that in that in the colorful nation. Yeah, going forward, that's me. Thank you, Tabo. Tato. <laughs> Um, I think the first thing I would need to do is actually have the conversations with the very people I'm running away from, which would be my family and other Indian people. And it's, it's, it's such a difficult conversation to have. It's so confrontational. You know, you have to deal with the fact that your sister is not going to speak to you probably if you, if you raise these things. And I, for a long time, have been avoiding it. So I realized that just from the sessions, probably something I'm going to have to do at some point or the other. And then maybe to write about it because my fear of not, for not writing it is actually the backlash. Because when I read comments on the post newspaper site, um, which is a predominantly Indian paper, you know, it it makes me very nervous at, at the level of consciousness, um, that people have not really want to evolve. They don't really want to have these kind of conversations. So I really have to ask myself, do I really want to spend all of this mental energy on this topic? But then actually I do. As I said, we all have that duty and responsibility. On a more pragmatic level, I, um, you know, I've, I've recently uh, arranged a, a girls' dinner, but it's not just a girls' dinner where we sit and dissect what's wrong with men. Um, but it's one of those dinners where I actually want to have this kind of conversation because we're a group of young black women, and I want to talk to my friends about their challenges, especially at the workplace. That's where we spend predominantly, you know, our time, and even at our workplace. I make sure that these conversations kind of happen. Um, and the other uh, practical thing for me is sharing. You know, when uh, Fees Must Fall and Rose Must Fall started, the students were absolutely brilliant because they found the most amazing ebooks, and, you know, they put it online. Those resources are available and we should be sharing them as, you know, in all ways of forms because they're free and we shouldn't hoard um, that knowledge. And um, I do also just want to have fun being South African. So, yes, you and the differences, I'm all for it because <laughs> it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful. So this game it's really heavy and it gets really exhausting, but this it's just so beautiful being a South African. So I also want to embrace that in every way and form that I get. Thank you, Ken. Okay. Uh, now I'm I'm happy with the fact that somebody had and that somebody is Ushanga. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 send something uh, I I was talking to Tabo outside, and 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 saying, some when you come out of this uh, this session, you become very angry, mm. and when you come out of it, you you like, do I need to go back there? <laughs> because he asked, he said to me. Am I back? Am I going back then? I mean, to, 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 yeah, but eight days. Moving forward, 
I I I feel, and I will I will I will I will push a lot more on on teaching the younger generations. I've got two kids. I have to teach them. I have first of all, I must learn to be myself and and express myself and know whatever that I want to do is it's gonna affect a lot more and it might mean a lot more to the world and that's the teaching that I need to to teach to my to my kids that Jens Fetu, my daughter, be yourself. Let's move forward with whatever that we are. I mean, we have in us. Let's let's move with it. Thank you. My action remains the same one that it's been for the last couple of years, which is to continue having these conversations. Um, but I'm adding an extra level to it, and it's that. Uh, in those conversations, I uh, take responsibility for my emotions and responses, and I leave the other person to take responsibility for theirs. So which, whatever emotions are being expressed, um, I don't need to take on theirs, and they don't need to take on mine. And in that way, I think it creates a space that we can continue to have the conversations. Thank you, Alison. That's very... It's very helpful. Yeah. Actually. Thank you for thank you for that. Yeah, uh, I think I'm not quite as mature as Alison in this thing, and I really I've tried to keep a, a boundary or whatever emotionally, and I just I don't manage. So I leave here, and then I'm depressed for a week about the fact that I'm white, and every black person I see, I want to just go hug and apologize to, and you know, um, and it, it, it's almost too heavy. Like, and I feel like maybe. My call of action should be to to take what I've learned in the last two years in these discussions because I've learned so much um, and to just focus on talking to white people about these things, just delivering the information, being the post per the postman, you know, like uh, trying to explain it to them because I don't, a lot of the people, the white people I know won't find themselves anywhere near these conversations, not because they don't want to, but because they don't know about them, they're not invited, whatever. So I think instead of coming again and again and leaving, you know, smaller and smaller like a worm, like I need to stand up and be confident and go and speak to white people and really just confront them with these emotions that I've heard here, these realities. Um, and then also just this thing of being yourself, it's something that I haven't really thought about that much, you know, and I think for the students that I teach to just really allow the black students to have their space and to just be aware of how I, you know, can um, facilitate. Uh, facilitate and assist them in, in being themselves. Um, and then the last thing, I'm busy making a play at the moment, a piece of theater about all of these racial discussions and things. And um, I think... What I'm going to do there and what I've realized today is that I must try and create the kind of space that I'm yearning for, for all of them, you know, um, not just the white students because I can identify with that, but, but for all of them that are there, that they really feel like they are seen and heard and, and free to, to really genuinely free to say what they, what they feel and to see what happens um, when I do that. That's very, very, thank you. Um, yeah, my plan of action is to carry on writing in, in indigenous 
writing systems, namely Spec, because I feel that allows people to tap into all the things that make us proud to be Africans because there's a lot of shame that goes on with being African. I used to be ashamed of speaking the way that I speak, you know, because um don't have that accent. And like oh, this morning, well. <laughs> you see, that's so insulting. And I, I know you can do a lovely Indian accent. <laughs> yeah, like like this morning, I just finished an artwork and I titled it 3,000. Well, 3,000, not 3,000. Unfortunately, I didn't have the time to like do a phonetic transcription of it. But like, um, that's Istamto. We have like, I mean, the ability to speak more than one language demonstrates an intellectual acumen. So you should be proud of that. Like, you shouldn't feel ashamed the fact that you can't speak, you can speak three other languages, you know. So, um, I want to just carry on encouraging people to engage with language, writing systems as an entry point to understanding our space within this whole world and the contribution that we've made to the world as Africans. Thank you. That's beautiful. Is that everybody spoken? Mm. Well, Keki, then what is your action? Okay, I'll share it with everybody. So my action has actually taken root last, not last, a couple of, three, two weeks ago. Um, so my action for a while had been that... Um, being in a multiracial collective, um, I, uh, and having the conversation and also hearing the black pain and the black anger and also the black kind of despondency or like the, what the black body and person and soul needs. I really needed that. Like I felt like I needed that gap to be filled. And so I've started, um, attending. I was invited to attend a, a workshop that I do once a month. Well, it's, 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 it's going to be brief. It's going to be for three months and then we'll see what happens after that. But it's been really great. I've been there once, um, with other black facilitators and practitioners and psychologists and whatever. And, um, it's been really rewarding and it's, it's somehow filling that, that space of, or that need of talking with, with, with other black people, women and hearing about their experiences and how they deal with, with oppression and being in the space and being the voice of kind of authority sometimes in the space and, and how to use that and how to dis, distance yourself sometimes from it and all of that stuff has been really really useful so 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 yeah so i have um that accountability that i've been talking about for a bit i've i've, I've started doing something in that and I, I don't know what i'm going to get out of it but i'm already feeling you know a lot better and a little bit more filled from that you? you want to know mine? Yeah. <laughs> well, after we um, spoke the other day, I mean, I actually need support from other white facilitators. I found that. So I've reached out to someone to support me when I feel attacked or when I feel like I failed or feel like I've got it wrong all over again. Um, and uh, also there's something else that's also coming is for to me is to have more compassion for white people as well, because I think I've been a bit harsh at times on fellow white South Africans because I lose my patience with them. And it's estranged me from parts of my family, which has been very hard and very, very hurtful. Um, and it's also just that we are all human beings on this journey that we've all been thrown into. And we just need to keep being compassionate. Because I think apartheid robbed, robbed us of it. It didn't teach any of us it. We were all just... Um, ends products you know ways to make money to find the gold and to find the diamonds and so i think just for me just keeping telling the stories listening to the stories and um and having compassion for where everybody is on this journey um 
and that's that takes a lot of human strength, but it helps with wine, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, so yeah, so please, um, so you can find us on our Facebook page to when we're having our next, um, dialogue. It should be in March during anti-racism week. But yeah, um, we will be going as we go along for this year because we are struggling to get funding. But, um, we are, we hope to keep the conversation going and thank you everyone for tuning in today. And thank you everyone, all the participants. You guys were great. Thank you. This is cliffcentral.com.